With traffic, errands, and parking, cars can be a chore. But a great car can be an adventure, a getaway, and a prized possession. Whatever your budget or family require, there's a car out there you'll love. We're here to help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Happy Tuesday. We've got a really cool topic Tuesday coming up. I should uh, mention a couple of things. We're just coming out of Labor Day. Happy uh, day after Labor Day. If you're in the U.S., you didn't work yesterday, most likely, and we're glad to have you back with us for your commute here on Tuesday. However, because it was Labor Day weekend, we recorded this early. So if something in the car world blew up over the weekend, we will not be talking about it <laughs> right. on this podcast. We'll right. cover it coming up, but that did, we didn't get to that. Just so you know, we recorded it just before the weekend. So I uh, hope you had a good weekend. We're back with a very cool topic Tuesday, though. Yeah, uh, U.S. News had emailed us, and they wanted to share their best new car rankings for teens and I thought based on the volume of emails that we've gotten instead of debating these individually I thought we could speak more broadly to them and they've got their latest 2019 data to share with us so Jamie Page Deaton is on with us she's the executive editor of the team for for the automotive team there and uh, she and her team came up with these rankings so let's see if we can get her on the phone and uh, have a chat with her hello this is Jamie Hi again. Hi. How are you guys doing? We are well. Doing we are great. Well. Thanks but, for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for being game for all this madness. That I, I'm really appreciating you guys having me. Um, I think it's it's going to be a, a really good time. No, thanks so much for joining us. In case you have not followed along already, those of you listening, uh, Jamie is the executive editor of the U.S. News World Report's Best Cars, and we're having a conversation about cars for teens, and we thought, wait a minute... Jamie can speak to this really well, well. Absolutely. I thought this could be so relevant because it's kind of the start of the new school year for both mm-hmm. high schoolers and college students. Yep. And Jamie, I thought you could just jump right in. I liked reading your bio and how long you've been doing this. And you it's my understanding you were originally part of the team first setting up the criteria back in 07 or something like that. And I thought you could you could touch on your experience and how it's morphed, your criteria has morphed over the years. But we also like that you talk about used cars, too, because Todd yeah, and I talk yeah. about used cars so much that, you know, we've got people writing to us really from all over the world saying, all right, guys, I've got a low budget. I need a good car for my new driver or my teenage son or daughter. Help me out. And here's the criteria. Here's what I'm looking at. Maybe it's a low budget, but maybe it's, you know, other things, other factors in there, too. So I figured you could just jump in and start. I want to hear your rankings for both new and used cars, but then kind of how you guys got there as a as an organization, because that's that's what you oversee. Correct. Yeah. So with the uh, best cars ranking since 2007, um, we've launched the best car rankings. And those car rankings are um, based on the consensus opinion of the automotive press. And so we rank cars within their class. Um, and so you're ranking small cars against small cars. Uh, and it's based, you know, we, we, we take and we collect and analyze every published and credible review of a given model. Um, and we get a number of scores from that analysis. And okay. then we combine that with safety and reliability data. Now, for the best cars for teens, which we've been doing um, for about five years now in various forms, um, the reason that we started doing that is, you know, I think anybody who looks at the statistics around teen drivers, um, it's it's really kind of horrifying when you think about it. Like you spend mm-hmm. your his entire life trying to keep them safe and then they turn 16 and you're like, well, here's a death machine. Go have fun. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And so we really <laughs> want to help, you know, parents you know, pick the right car. And it's mainly because um, 
teenagers, they just don't have, their brains aren't developed enough to understand the consequences of their actions behind the wheel. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think back to when I was a teenager and all the stupid stuff that I did um, and how lucky I am to still be alive. (laughs) Agreed. Totally true. (laughs) We all have similar stories about how stupid and the thing that I did and I don't really want anybody to know about Mm -hmm. that. We've actually admitted some stories on the air, Todd and I have, from, uh, you know, our early days driving and saying, "Uh, okay, don't do that. Learn from us. Hopefully you can. (laughs) Well, and you and I have that thing where we sit in this room and we talk to each other and then we realize thousands of people have heard it and somebody repeats (laughs) it when we meet them. We're like, oh, that's right. I shared that. That's not good. (laughs) That's right. Anyway, no, I'm going to die on this hill, Jamie, that the safest car is the one that can avoid the accident in the first place. But to your point, the skills aren't developed yet because you might not as a driver be able to take advantage of the power or the brakes or the handling of that car Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to make it avoid the accident in the first place. And so that's why like what your ratings and rankings have done, they've tempered it with new tech, but then on the used car side, not everybody can afford a brand new car for their teenage son or daughter. How long have you guys been doing this list? We've been doing this list for about five years, um, and we've played with the methodology. We've used this this methodology that we used for this year. We've done for the past two years, and so what the what the awards are based on is within used cars and within new cars. um, We look at a number of different factors. First is uh, crash test performance because you want the crash. Let's just be honest. If if you're buying your kid a car, if you're a new driver, anything like that, or actually any driver, Mm -hmm. you're going to be in a crash at some point. Um, It's just going to happen. So Mm -hmm. you want to have the most crash protection that you can possibly have. Um, Then we also look at um, that tech that you were talking about, where it helps the teenager not only avoid a crash or lessen the severity of the crash, but also help them develop good driving skills for life Mm -hmm. and help them continue that conversation about good driving skills with their parents. Um, we also put to, put in there um, reliability because nobody wants their teen stranded on the side of the road in the middle of the night. <laughs> this is true. Um, yes, ideally know, not. Nobody yeah. wants that. Phone or even call. in the middle of the day, um, for that matter. Yes, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. And then we also look at um, a critic's rating, and the reason that we do that, and that comes directly from our analysis of published reviews of given cars, you know, from the best journalists in the automotive business. The reason that we put that critic's rating in there is because we realize a couple of things. One is, odds are. People who are buying this car are sharing this with their mm-hmm. teenager. Mm-hmm. So we yeah, want to make yeah, sure yeah. it's a car sure. that they're going to enjoy owning. The other thing is, if you're not sharing this with your teenager or it's not a hand-me-down situation, this might be a car that your teen drives you know, in high school, in college, and beyond. And if mm-hmm. you look at some of these cars you know, on the new car list and even you know, on the used car list, some of these cars are, have such good um, reliability and are essentially, you know, as long as you maintain them, they're fairly bulletproof. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm thinking here about um, you know, the... Uh, the um, Toyota RAV4, which is, was our best SUVs for teens, thirty-five thousand to forty thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that is one where I could see. All right, if you have a twelve-year-old, you know, yeah. <laughs> buy that car for yourself now. Yeah. The twelve-year-old can learn to drive it in it when they're sixteen, and there's a good shot that that car will be bringing home your first grandchild if it's well maintained. I hear your point. Um, so yeah. It's, yeah, about Subaru that, has actually you know, made an entire the... commercial series based upon this premise. <laughs> like, <laughs> you grow with your you, Subaru. You bumped into their marketing campaign <laughs> exactly. accidentally. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. you know, you start with a Subaru Brat from 1984, and, you, you know, we all had the jump seats with the jet fighter grab handles did, did and no seat belts. Did we all have those? Did we all have jump seats? I, just, I, I still have yeah. this fond memory of the, the Brat and bombing around in a Subaru Brat. But anyway, keep going, Jamie. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I will say the one thing that we did leave off of this list, which is makes it a little bit different from other list is we did not include at all whether or not it was a cool car or whether it had, you know, a stereo that the teen would be interested in or any of that. 
of, you know, connectivity tech because we're like, that shouldn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, the way that I see it is if your teen is really excited about a certain model of car and you're going to buy them that car, you should take a breath and say, wait a second. <laughs> sure. Why are they so excited? Because odds are if they're excited about it, it's the wrong car. They're going to do something stupid with it. Much Possibly. better to put you know, your teen into a Buick LaCrosse than a Ford Mustang um, because that Mustang is going to tempt them to drive beyond their skills. Hmm. I, I have to ask, what was your first car when you started driving? Yes, there you go. Uh, a 1984 Volvo 240. Okay. <laughs> nice and, and safe. Good. Like yeah, it. I have very fond memories of that car, uh, and I have legs because of that car. I was in an accident Oof. because of that, or not in that car. I understand. Yeah. Um, I was going to make a left turn, you know, onto a more crowded road. I looked yeah. left. Nobody was coming. I looked right. There was stop traffic. The woman who was stopped waved me on. I went without looking left again Ooh. and Ooh. just got smacked, you know, <laughs> by actually a Mustang. Mm. Um, who, and, oh, wow. you know, the everybody just walked away. Wow. And it was wow. great to have a car like that. And I just remember, you know, my mom driving up, you know, after I had called her. And this was pre-cell phone, so we had to, like, run into sure. a nearby house yeah, yeah, to, like, right. call my mom. Totally. Right. Um, and she, she drove up, and she said, the car, I was like, I'm so sorry. I wrecked your car. I was really sorry. And she goes, the car did its job. That's yeah. what the car is there for. Yeah, And absolutely. that's, you know, the way that really informs how we write about cars and think about cars mm, in business mm. and these awards. Mm, sure. Had that car been in your family for a while, or did they buy it for you when you turned 16? It had been in the family for a while. So okay. by that point, it was 13 years old. Sure. So, sure, sure. I mean, it had had a lot of miles on it. But, you know, it was it was still fine. It was, you know, it's a 240. It's a giant steel box. Yeah, you can't really absolutely. go wrong with that. <laughs> no, it's absolutely. slow. You can't get into a lot of trouble with it. Well, I remember it's the hilarious. commercial of driving it uh, nose first off the top of the parking garage and just oh, straight yeah. down, just arrowed it right into the concrete. Oh, I remember gosh. that ad when Volvo was shifting their entire branding oh, to gosh. we are concerned about safety. I will always remember that image because I was like, that's actually simultaneously horrifying and cool. It's, it's so, so yeah. apropos yeah. that now doing what you do professionally, that your first car was, you know, what Volvo is known for. It's the safest thing. That's, Put your baby yeah, in the Volvo. That's cool, though. That's cool. <laughs> so great. So do you guys actually uh, pull all these cars, like press cars of these, and, and drive them uh, when you're in the, this process? No. This is the, the awards and our rankings are totally based on the data that we gather okay. in-house. Okay. So it's based on the analysis, the reviews. Now, we still go and we get press cars and we test them, and we will do things um, with the press cars. You know, If something happens with a press car or we see a feature on, the, on a press car, that can either help it or hurt it. So, mm-hmm. for example... Um, you know, with Best Cars for Teens, as we're looking at these advanced driver assistance features, um, you know, if we find one that does not seem to prevent accidents or in some cases could prevent accidents, that feature will not count for Best Cars for Teens. Um, another example is every year we do Best Cars for Family Awards and we're looking at family-friendly features. Um, and so the features that make the list um, for, you know, consideration that a, if a car has them, they can earn points towards their overall award score. Um, what we're really looking at there is uh, people put their families in the press cars and they see which features are really, really useful there. Okay, um, sure. so we, yeah. So we come up with some, um, that might not seem totally, you know, family or some that are, you know, pretty obvious, like, you know, a built in vacuum or something like that. Yeah. Um, but then there are <laughs> others where it's like, you know what, a 360 camera doesn't seem, you know, it's not necessarily family friendly because, you know, it's talking about, you know, parking better or avoiding dings, you know, in a parking lot, but it prevented me from backing over, you know, my kid's tricycle. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Or, so, so, so those little features, too, um, could be helpful. Or my favorite thing is navigation. If you've got younger kids and you're driving carpool, odds are there's no way that a 7-year-old can direct you to their house. 
but they can give you their address. <laughs> That's where navigation right. is a major family friendly. Don't feature. tell me left, right. Just just tell me the digits. We're You'll see get a there, yellow mailbox. Don't yeah. turn there. Keep going. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so so give us some other favorites off of here. And also, I'd be very curious if off this list, if you have something you've driven off the list that you personally really like. Yeah. Well, I'll start. You know, with the used cars. So like you guys said, nobody can. Not everyone can afford to buy, you know, their teen yeah, a new yeah, car. Yeah. And so the used cars for teens, this is really where, you know, parents, I think, need to balance um, balance their budget with the safety features. These winners are all except for one from the 2015 or from the 2016 model year. We have mm. one 2015 on there. Mm-hmm. If you go older, you're going to get, you know, a larger car um, for your money, but you won't have these driving systems that, you know, help teenagers out. So just think long and hard about the balance between just having the size and inherent crash protection that comes with size. Mm -hmm. But on the list, we have um, the 2016 Buick LaCrosse, Mm -hmm. um, which is the best used large car car for teens. LaCrosse is great, again, because it hits these criteria that um, I once was talking with some folks over at the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, and what they recommend for teens is that you buy them something big, boring, and slow. Big because you want that crash protection. Boring because you don't want all your teenagers friends to be like, ooh, let's go cruise in your car. Yes, you don't point. want a cool car. And then you want it to be slow so they can't get into much trouble. Um, and lacrosse La is great because it's <laughs> comfortable. Um, it's big. It's not particularly fast, but it's going to protect your kid without tempting them, you know, to really push it, you know, in the quarters or, you know, go out drag racing at it. Um, and it's got all seeing, that crash protection. Is anybody else seeing the ad, the one-page ad right now? It's a Buick LaCrosse, really nicely photographed. And it just says in big, bold letters underneath it, big, boring, and slow. I just, you know, they're exactly. No, you're going to want to buy this new because you're going to hand it down. Yeah, <laughs> big, boring, and slow. Come over to Buick. Sorry. Anyway, yep. that's, that's the fun I'm having. It could work. It could work. Maybe that's the new tack they need to do. Well, hang on. <laughs> yeah. when, when we're talking about uh, 2015, 2016, what uh, before that, what what criteria, safety driver assistance stuff are you looking at that are not on the earlier cars that you're considering that kind of the dividing line? Is there something specific there that's causing that dividing line? Yeah, well, that's when we started to see really widespread forward collision warning and automatic mm-hmm. braking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where, okay, sure. I mean, and that is something that can really, really help a teen out. Um, sure. And so... Not everything in the 2014 model year is going to have those features available, okay. Okay. but it's really in 2014 where we saw them, you know, widely coming out um, and being available on a wide range of models. Okay. Um, you also see a lot of like lane departure warning and lane keeping assist. Again, um, you know, lane departure warning is more common from 2014 on, but lane keeping assist starts being sprinkled in starting in 2014. Um, and those are things too. I mean, so many. I mean, I've seen older people do this when they drive, but, you know, you go to check your blind spot and you, you can't maintain your position in the lane. Yeah. You trip. Sure. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so to have this system so the teenager doesn't do that and doesn't, you know, sideswipe somebody on the interstate, it works pretty you – know, it seems like a, you know, a good sure. thing to have. Sure, sure. I totally get it. I was just trying to understand what, what technology we were, we were seeing there, and that makes total sense. Keep going. Yeah, so we've also got on the list for midsize cars the 2016 Toyota Camry or Camry Hybrid. Um, This is another one, not the most exciting car on the market, but your kid can drive this forever. They Mm -hmm. can take this, you know, from their junior year in high school to their first job and beyond. Um, And the the Camry Hybrid, too, is, you know, that's one where it's it's a nice car. And, you know, if you've got a young person in your house concerned about climate change or you're concerned about climate change, um, I think getting in a hybrid is, you know, one affordable way. Um, to get them kind of the car they want, because don't give your kid a Tesla. That's just a bad choice. Um, and then next on the list is the midsize SUVs. We've got the 2015 Chevy Traverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the only 2015 on the list. This is one that if you currently have a Traverse, 
pass it on down to your teen and Ooh, then I go see. get yourself something fun. There you we know? go. There you go. Hey, nice. uh, wait, wait, something for I the like parents you now. Think. I see it. We had the family car. Yeah. You can have the family car. You're I'm almost getting... out of the house, too, so <laughs> we're saving money. You're Here's taking that car. with you. I'm getting this. That's, I'm getting okay. a Mustang yep. GT500 with <laughs> 700 million horsepower. <laughs> we actually had recently, I, this is a weird side note, we recently we had a, a private owner's car. We needed a uh, 718 Boxster. Okay, we needed yeah, a right. base boxster, and because not a lot of people buy the base boxster, and the press cars are almost always upscaled, it was kind of hard to find that. We found somebody locally. We were in Park City, found somebody locally who had one, and so we borrowed it for a shoot to put it with a press car. It worked out wonderfully. The owner was great, and we borrowed a lot of cars like this, and it works out fine. What was weird in this instance is when we picked up the car, we met the owner's college-age son. <laughs> and the owner's wife. And the owner's wife said in passing, just in passing, interesting that complete strangers can drive this car, and yet our son cannot. And I was like, oh, <laughs> there's a fight coming, because uh, their teenage son yeah. had clearly not driven dad's nice retirement car yet, and here we showed up and <clears throat> took it and put it on TV. But I take your point. There is that whole, uh, you've got some dividing lines. If you drive to Traverse, we're getting, we're getting this over here. Yeah. I, I will say, you know, when... We took over when my sisters and I started driving, and we took on the old Volvos. My dad went out and bought himself a BMW 3 Series, okay, cool. and he got a manual because that's more fun to drive. Sure. And then over the next two, three years, his knee deteriorated to the point where he could no longer drive it in traffic. Oh, wow. And so the manual car he had bought in a manual, not only because it was fun, but also because he did not want his daughters to drive it. Oh. was the car that I got to take to college. Oh, <laughs> so nice. One nice. very bitter summer teaching me to drive a stick oh, in man. his dream car. Well, that's actually... He just couldn't take it anymore. Oh, my gosh. That's, that's hysterical. We, we do want to touch on that because, you know, we've talked about manual transmissions taking up all the, the time and all the effort that otherwise you might be looking at your phone or being distracted. Yep. And if you are... In a manual car, I mean, we, we get emails all the time. I want my son or daughter driving a manual transmission mm -hmm. because less distraction. Plus, what about two-seat sports cars, even though it seems antithetical, but less people in the car? And I've noticed a through line here, which I also want you to talk about. Keep going with your small cars and small SUVs. But the through line on all of these cars, new and used, they're all front-wheel drive, which interesting. is interesting mm -hmm. to me. Mm, yeah. And... As we as drivers mature and progress through the years and, you know, get better at driving ideally, then, you know, how does that factor in? You know, I think front wheel drive is excellent for people to learn on. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, you get into different dynamics of the car. Does that come up in your discussions, too? It does. So actually, the, the Chevy Traverse is one where uh, it really gave us pause because, you know, should we including midsize SUVs at all because there's so many seats in them? You know, you really don't want to give mm, your teenager the opportunity to load up eight of their friends and go driving <laughs> around because there's so just reams of data that show that the, yeah. every passenger yeah. in the car increases your ten, teen's risk of an accident. Mm -hmm. um, like the Jeep Cherokee that I had to, as a kid and yeah, yeah, loaded yeah. it up with the entire swim team, actually, and we went bombing yeah. around town. Because why does everybody exactly. in the back need seatbelts? Why would you do that? Yeah, Seatbelts, yeah. whatever. Oh, no, I had the entire gymnastics team one day it snowed during practice, and I was like, I can drive you all home. I've got a station wagon. We need weight over the back wheels. <laughs> you guys ride go. back there. Teen, teen driver yeah. thinking. I get it. Okay, yeah, keep yeah. going. So, but you see this type of thinking <laughs> that teenagers are doing, and it's a terrible idea. So you know what it comes down to, I think, though, if you're giving your kid a bigger car, it comes down to the parenting, and you mm -hmm. really need to sure. make it clear to your kid you are not to have passengers in this. If you are caught with passengers in this, that is it. You will lose the privilege. 
Um, and, and it really, I mean, I think coming to it from an understanding that this is for your own safety, here is the data that backs up what I'm saying. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, so that they understand why. And one thing I also really love is, uh, I mean, I'm a huge fan of um, graduated licensing laws. So mm. pay attention mm-hmm. to the laws in your state because your mm-hmm. state might be doing the parenting for you yeah. and might be saying your team can't have passengers anyway. But those, um, there's a lot of data that shows that those, da- those graduated licensing laws do reduce teen crashes and teen fatalities because um, it just forces the teens to really follow the rules. Um, it gives the parents a little bit of backup as they're trying to enforce them. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think it is you know, a key question of do you get your kid a big card so they have all this crash protection with the risk that they're going to load it up with friends? Um, and you really, I think, just have to step in and say, <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> a guy I knew, when they were having their first child, he wanted his wife to be in the safest thing imaginable. And his answer to that question was a suburban but oh, no. because he thought that's the most space, like you were saying, Jamie, the most space mm-hmm. around his wife, the the you know biggest most. He, you know, he, wanted, he wanted a shipping container worthy. with wheels and as close as he could get. That's was what he suburban. got. And yeah. I thought, okay, but what about just us as drivers learning better? Because if you're still in an accident in a big car like that, you're still going to be skittish and drive timidly, and you know, for for the future, it's still going to kind of rail on you, if you know what yeah. I mean. So, well, what about cars that actually? I don't know. I, there, I keep going back and forth between. There is a too big fact possibility here. I mean, getting better as a driver this, and yeah. then the car itself, because you can't take advantage of the car's capabilities if your your, if your skills aren't there. Yeah. So one I, of yeah. The, I go back and forth. One of the things I like about what you guys are doing with this list, though, is you're is your, you're almost looking at these. At least as, as I'm gleaning it, you're almost looking at these less as run out and buy this for your teen than run out and buy this for your family and then pass it on to your teen. Mm-hmm. So it so you're you're able to think kind of long term in those regards versus just run out and buy the car for your kid. I, I see that logic quite a bit. But you and I've talked about before. I mentioned it before. I was going down to Salt Lake not that long ago. Actually, it's been about a year ago now, I guess. And there was a huge. Chevy uh, 2500 pickup that was doing a very bad job in its yeah, lane. Yeah. I took my opportunity to try to find the thread the needle and get past it and realized there was a terrified teenage girl behind the wheel. And you know some parent there said, well, it's huge. You'll be fine. Take the and truck. And nobody thought yeah. about the fact that it's a blimp and she's terrified. Yeah. yeah. Nope. No kidding. Well, I mean, at a certain point, you also have to think of the other drivers on the road. Yeah. So, I, you know, you can put your kid in a suburban or a huge you know, f-250 or whatever um and that kid's going to be protected but the odds of them hurting someone else are going to be Certainly. that much Certainly. higher yeah, yeah. because if they do hit somebody then they're going to cause much more damage than if they were in something smaller um, and that's yeah. one of the reasons that we actually don't have large suvs and trucks on this list mm, okay. because even though um you know something like the traverse you know before things like you know stability control became more common you know, we saw a lot of teen rollover crashes, but mm-hmm. as stability control has beca- and, you know, role mitigation has become much more common, we are seeing fewer teens get into those types of crashes. So the oh. car, t- you know, the technology is really helping, you know, stepping up and taking care of the teens there. So I don't feel quite as bad about putting kids into Traverse because a Traverse is bigger than a Camry hybrid, but it's not huge. Yeah, um, no, not but a yeah, I wouldn't, pickup. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You've, it's, it's about finding that balance between mm. the size of the car that is going to offer the kind of crash protection you want um, without being a bear to drive. Because even if your kid's you know, going to be able to walk away from a big violent crash in a suburban, you're going to have so many dings and dents on that thing that you might as well have gotten in something smaller <laughs> exactly. anyway. How many weird parking five mile an hour ones did we have because it's a suburban? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. 
Jamie, I couldn't help notice, but the small car on your list for best used cars was a Prius, and the audience knows my <clears throat> proclivities or my you're you're you're, my, um, you're a big fan vitriol towards Prius, and I I know but, people drive Prius. I know they do. But in the world of a car that the kids are not going to go, let's go drive my Prius. Fat that sentence isn't going to happen. I, I know, That's and I, the I have to let die the entire notion of your first car because. As teens, you've got the rest of your life to go own cool cars, yeah. to get better as a driver, own cool, more expensive cars, all that stuff. And I keep having to remind myself, your first car doesn't <laughs> have to check all the boxes. It, it has to do, Jamie, what your yeah. team has done. And let's introduce you to the concept of driving and paying attention differently and ideally putting your phone down or never looking at it while you're driving because it doesn't help you steer. I keep saying that. Your phone doesn't help you steer. It's weird how that works. I, I, yeah. m- many yeah. people, this is not just teens, but I think everybody still doesn't really quite understand how it doesn't help you steer. <laughs> I'm going to keep beating on that drum. This is the thing. Nobody would drive with their eyes closed. Yet you're looking at your phone, you're driving with your eyes closed. That's a yeah. great point. So just put it down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Isn't that a Don Henley yeah, song? The, no, it, it sounds like it. It's an Eagles It sounds song? like an Eagles B-side. It really does. Like, driving with your eyes closed yeah, is like who, it's a B-side of something for sure. Yeah. Terrifying. Anyway, so, JB, do you have a favorite on this list that you've driven? You know, for the used cars, I mean, I like the lacrosse. I'm getting, you know, cranky in my middle age. So I like something <laughs> big and comfortable. And, like, if I was driving, you know, from Minnesota to Mexico, I'd want to do it in a lacrosse. Sure. Just oh, yeah, Because yeah. I could sure. float I along down the I highway. You know, on the new car list, um, I am a re- there's, there's a couple of cars here that I'm a big fan of. Um, and one that is falls in the same area as the Chevy Traverse where we almost didn't recommend it. Um, so the VW Jetta is, I think, almost too fun to drive for teenagers Hmm. Um, because it's got, you know, of the ones on the list, this is certainly, you know, the best performing car, I think, kind of by any measure. Um, So this is one, if you're looking at a Jetta and it's the best car for teens, new cars uh, in the $20,000 to $25,000 category, you know, if you're spending, and I should say for these price categories on the new car side, this is the price of the car when it's totally outfitted with all the safety tech. Okay. Um, okay, so, sure, you know, right. a base jet is not going to run you quite this much. Sure. But when you're looking at when you're looking at that, I would say, you know, really only get the Jetta for your very mature teen who's not going to do anything stupid with it, not going to get egged on by their friends. The Jetta, I think, is a little bit fun to drive. Okay. Um, the others on the list, I got to tell you, I'm a big fan of the 2020 Kia Soul. The redesign took a pretty good small car. Um, I guess we have it as a small SUV. Yeah, um, maybe yeah. it's one of those in-between crossovers. It is, for um, sure. But it took a pretty good, you know, compact crossover and um, really just made it that much better. It's got a, you know, funky looks to it, which I think is is great, but it also comes heavily contented um, with features, you know, for a pretty affordable price. It's got a decent amount of cargo space, um, especially if you fold down the back seat. So tell your teen, don't have passengers, you know, carry a drum set instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I just really like this all. Even at slow speeds, it corners very, very well. Um, mm. So it's one of those cars, too, where you can have a good time without having to go super fast. Oh, we're huge um, about that, big, for sure. Yeah, big soul fan. Um, I also, I, you know, I also really like uh, the Toyota RAV4 because that's another mm-hmm. one where buy it for yourself today, pass it down to your teen. Um, yeah, because, yeah. you know, the RAV4, it's got the space, um, it's got, you know, the features, the tech features, you know, like CarPlay and things that mm-hmm. you can use and yeah, enjoy. For sure. Um, and then pass it down to your kids. I'm so glad you said the soul. For years, I was talking about the prior generation soul, and I I loved it. Mm-hmm. I just, I love the price and the usability and, it just 
it seemed like a bargain and and it was still sort of spry you you have talked it up yep. almost unnecessarily but yet at the same time we've had it a few times we've driven it a few times and always were like yeah you know what all right paul we ca- you kind of got something here so <laughs> Jamie, you're, you're among friends at this point because you're recommending the kia soul and the audience <laughs> is going did they set that up but anyway <laughs> no <laughs> well i mean the soul too i mean and the redesign again they just took a great little car and they made it even better the other thing that the kia soul and also the kia forte which is also on the list mm-hmm. um as well as the hyundai accent and the hyundai santa fe um as a parent what i really like about these is they have a smartphone app that comes with the car so with the hyundais it's blue link um mm-hmm. and with kia it's uvo or uvo i forget how to pronounce it it's uvo okay. um and this is a smartphone app where as a parent you can set alerts for the car mm-hmm. so you can set a curfew for the car so if the car is driven past a certain time of night you get a text if the mm-hmm. car is driven over a certain speed you get a text Ooh, if the car yeah. leaves a geographic area that you have previously set you get a text. You've geofenced um, your car. Of- Look at that. That's fun. Yeah. Okay, keep going. Exactly. Yeah. So what's great about this is, you know, we talk a little bit about the safety features that can help a teen avoid an accident. This is a kind of safety feature where it can help you continue the conversation about safe driving with your kid. So say your kid's in the soul and you get a text that, oh, my gosh, this car is going, you know, 70 miles an hour. When the kid gets home, rather than, you know, I would not recommend going, you were going 70 miles an hour. What the heck was going on? Yeah, I wouldn't do that. Hey, yeah. I got a text. You know, what was going on? Because there might be a perfectly good reason as sure. to why yeah, yeah. the kid was going over 70. So maybe, hey, I was on the interstate. The speed limit was 65. Traffic was moving at around 70. So, yeah, I went 72 yeah. to keep up with the flow of traffic. Um, if it's been geofenced. So I'm based in the D.C. area. You know, we've got D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. Um, you know, when I was a kid, the rule was you don't leave the state. Um, so, you know, <laughs> if you if your kid did you know, leave Virginia and go into D.C., you'd get an alert and be like, hey, what were you doing in D.C.? Oh, well, there was a, you know, there's a big accident on the parkway, so Waze sent me around it by going through the district. I mean, um, there was a party! There, there, that, oh, wait. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, I mean, no, 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 there was, there was an accident. <laughs> yeah. um, but this is, again, one of those things that can just kind of keep your kid a little bit safer because, you know, what we really want, I mean, you want to be in the car with your kid, and you want your kid to always drive as if you're in the passenger seat with them. Mm-hmm. This gives you the technology that, so that you don't have to be physically there but you can still have a little bit of insight into how they're driving. You're, you're creating a level of kind of remote accountability there. And, and this is a actually talking point we've had in our, on our podcast. People have asked about, you know, getting those trackers for insurance benefits and those kind of things. And I think it gets a lot stickier once you are on your own recognizance. You're an adult. But let's be honest. Yeah. When, when you have a child who is living in your home, who is still a minor, there's got to be a level of accountability, and I think in that regard, that is interesting. You can kind of geofence your car, and you can follow up on this kind of stuff. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here at the same, at the same breath. I'm thinking how glad I'm, I am that my parents didn't have that technology. But yeah. now, as a parent, I'm going, huh? I see the merits. So I'm really quite <laughs> conflicted right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I would say too, like these aren't the only ones. You know, lots of car makers are coming out with teen driving controls now. No Chevys made the list um, for new cars, and the 2015 Chevy Traverse that was on the list for used cars, used cars doesn't have this. Mm-hmm. But the Chevy teen driver controls, those are actually pretty interesting because it actually generates a report card on oh the driving, gosh. so oh you can gosh. see, you can look at hard acceleration, Ooh, um, you can man. look at hard braking. So it really gives you kind of a black box so you can see like, hey, wow. you're, you're really accelerating and braking kind of hard. I see you're on this road that's always backed up. What's going on there? Let's go out and practice a little mm. bit more. Um, and, you know, Ford has their my key system where you give the, you know, the teen their key to the car um, and set in the settings of that key are speed restrictions, 
Um, the radio won't mm. turn on until all seat belts are buckled, and you know the radio won't go over a certain volume. So those are kind of features to look for um, that can you know help you again continue that conversation and maybe set some limits even if you aren't physically present in the car. Wow, interesting. Okay, so tie this to driver education as far as you know you're talking about acceleration and braking, and you know people have written to us and said I wish I had a high performance driving event early in my driving career because the track driving translates to better awareness during street driving. You know how to take corners a little bit better. And I, I hate to use the term race line, but it's more about the awareness that you're now thinking from a track perspective, now translating to street. I'm not saying it needs to go that far, but just a, a, a level past your general driver's mm -hmm, end, mm -hmm. because that just gets you how to kind of steer away around the world. Mm -hmm. But what about actually driving the the act that I consider of constantly being involved with your mirrors and knowing what's around you? You're not just zoning out, steering the car, staring straight ahead. You're you're active. You're changing lanes. You're you know planning ahead. All those kinds of things. And there a lot of that is experience. But what about driver education and where do you see that if it could be changed or where do you see that possibly going? Yeah. So I think driver education, you know, it, it varies from locality to locality in terms of what's required. Um, I think generally what's required is not nearly enough, mm, not nearly agree. enough time behind the wheel with an instructor, a professional instructor, not just your mom or dad, because <laughs> yeah. goodness, that was like yeah. a regular driver out there be teaching someone else to drive. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, when you're talking about high performance driving, I would disagree with you on that for teenagers, simply because, you don't want to, you want them to be confident in their skills. You want them to know what they're doing. You do not want them to be overconfident. Um, and as True. many courses as a teenager has taken, um, so say you're 17, you've been driving for a year and you're having a high performance, you know, driving course, you still have not encountered enough situations to learn what it's going to take, um, you know, to, to respond when something pops up. So I think a great um, analogy to this is, you know, the development of, of self-driving cars. Um, think of the millions and millions of miles that these cars have to get, um, you know, under them in order to respond appropriately in, in you know, various mm -hmm, situations. Mm -hmm. um, and now people can at least, you know, generalize certain situations, but you just don't want a kid thinking, well, I had that race, you know, that high-performance driving course, I'm ready to go. Because they had that high-performance sure. course on a track where conditions were perfect Certainly. and that's just not the Certainly. real world. Yeah, you're right. um, but I, I am a big fan of more driver training. So not high performance, but just, I mean, I know some companies and some insurance companies and, and some um, driving schools do offer just teen driving where no, they're not teaching them to race, but we're going to put you in a skid and we're going to teach you how to recover. That's, um, that we're going to teach awesome. you to be fully engaged, you know, with your mirrors and, and fully, you know, you know, taking that, um, taking the perspective of everyone else on the road is a bad driver, so I better be the best driver I can be. Um, those schools, I think, are well, well worth it. But any kind of high-performance driving school, I mean, I actually kind of wonder if any of those schools would take a teen on just because the insurance, I would mm. think, the liability would be through the roof. Well, um, sure, but I think, sure. I think in most cases but, what Paul's speaking to is more along the lines of what you're, what you're agreeing with, and that is we th we're, th we're kind of grouping them all together. We're thinking yeah. more, this is at a racetrack, we have cones, we're going to get cars out of control and teach you that kind of stuff, versus let's get you on the racetrack and yeah, see how fast I, you I think can it's go. We're not, we're not actually leaning that way. Jamie, we're, you have a great point. Yeah. But you know, we don't the, want overconfidence in, hey, I can do this, you know, and yeah, you're on ideal conditions in a you know, track prepped car, mm -hmm. that is a bit far, even though 
though I still wish I had that earlier in my life, <laughs> but from a, a car control perspective, like mm -hmm. you're talking about, you know, Todd, you mentioned cones and, you know, let's go into a controlled skid or Think about an the skid uncontrolled car stuff skid we've done, and then what is it like to recover or not recover? That's mm -hmm. what this feels like because Todd and I talk about the edge and the edge of tires and the edge and that's extreme high-end, you know, racetrack performance driving. But what about just... You know, you hit some gravel or you hit some ice yeah. and yeah, yeah, knowing yeah. just basic car recovery kinds of things that that isn't taught in basic driver's ed, Not to my all. knowledge. No. You know, that, that's the thing that no. you and I have talked about with uh, with skid cars. We've done a couple of kind of beginner courses so that we could talk about them and do videos on them. And one of the things that was fascinating is they put us in those things they call the skid car. And it is just a it's a normal front wheel drive sedan, but it's on. A, I don't know if you've done them ever, ever Jamie, or seen them, but there, it's on a hydraulic mm -hmm. uh, kind of spider web thing. They can change which t which wheels are getting grip and they can they can mm -hmm. have you do something and all of a sudden you're sliding sideways like you would if you caught ice here we are in utah and one of the things that's fascinating because you end up in the car with two or three other drivers and you're all switching out is to watch everybody get this wrong because even doesn't matter how long you've been driving your, your eyes probably aren't in the right place you're not responding like you should be that kind of stuff i wish i'd had right away granted i grew up in texas we didn't have a whole lot of ice but just <laughs> I, I think about i think about kids dealing with weather it would be interesting, I think, and vital to have a kid get a car out of control, like fully out of control, in one of these situations so that they've at least encountered the steps and known what they're supposed to do. I don't think they're going to suddenly magically be great at it, but know what they're supposed mm -hmm. to do so that when you are in that snowstorm and the car slides, it's not the first time a car's done something weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think there's also, I mean, I, I agree totally with you guys. The one thing that I would say as a caveat is still just know your team. Like, mm -hmm. just because you went and you had, you know, the skid training at the school doesn't mean that you should be out driving when there's an ice storm. <laughs> you know, like it's still, no, still don't get overconfident there. But right. there's also, I mean, you can also, you know, if you're a good driver, you should be helping your kids understand what it feels like to lose traction and how to recover from it. Um, so what you can do um, is, you know, Go take your kid to an empty parking lot and make sure they get up to, you know, a, a reasonable speed and have them, you know, fully stand on the brakes because most people don't brake hard enough mm. when a collision is coming because mm -hmm. they, they've never done it before. Mm, they've never good. put the brake pedal to the floor and done a full panic stop. Take your kid out there when it's snowing. Go find an empty church parking lot, empty school parking lot get them skidding mm -hmm. um, where they're not going to hit anything and they're not going to get hurt. Don't be stupid about it. No, um, but, you know, but just go right. to no, where it's a safe agree. place where they can practice. Mm -hmm. Ideally no concrete blocks, you know, the parking blocks, the parking stops. Yeah. yeah <clears> those. That's I've all done bad. that. And that, you know, bend the wheel under. Fold the wheels that, right out of the no car. Fun. No good. <laughs> Honey, we but, bent yeah, the car, good... but boy, did we learn stuff. <laughs> yeah. Find a good, find a good parking lot where you can practice these skills and do it multiple times. I would also say too, you know, when you're buying these cars with these advanced um, driver assistance features, make sure you know what they feel like, too, mm -hmm. um, so that you know that, um, you know, if a, if a car has lane keeping assist, you know, some of those can be a little bit aggressive. You yeah. know that the team's yeah. not going to think, oh, God, the car's going out of control and overcompensate by yanking on the wheel you sure. know, the other way. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, make sure they know what it looks like when um, the forward collision warning is going off and what they should be doing, um, you know, when the auto brake is kicking in. Like, you know, work with the, you know, the dealer might have have um, the equipment that lets you test those types of features. Hmm. Um, these are really hard, you know, the, when you're talking about forward collision warning um, and automatic braking stuff, this is not stuff that you want to test on your own. Uh, you don't want to just drive toward <laughs> right, the concrete right, wall right. and hope it works. Let's not do that. Um, but, All bad. Yeah, but 
talk to the dealer. Um, they might have, um, you know, one of those inflatable cars that you can drive for, to, you know, toward to see what it feels like and things. Um, or, you know, get online, find some videos of what it looks like. So you at least have an idea of, and your team can have an idea of, okay, that's what this beeping means. Sure, um, so they sure. aren't freaking out trying to find the source of the beeping and driving into the car in front of them. Jamie, you've been a phenomenal guest. You are absolutely invited back anytime. We love getting this outside perspective because, you know, of the research that you guys have done. And, you know, our research consists of continually adding to our portfolio of driving cars. And, you know, it's manifested <laughs> itself in Fast Blast and TV episodes. And we're looking for, you know, the the driving enthusiasm. But I do love, you know, where you're tempering us with your research and, and coming in with, you know, your rankings. I, I really appreciate that. So, Thank you for sharing. Big really time. appreciate yeah, that. Sure. Well, thanks so much for having me. And I have to say, too, like as a driving enthusiast myself, the better that everyone on the road can drive, mm -hmm. the more fun we have. Absolutely. <laughs> so, no, the yeah. more skills there. And, and I don't know about you guys, but um, I've had some truly awful cars in my life. So, <laughs> you know, our thing at U.S. News is we just want to keep you from buying a bad car Good. or the wrong car for you. Good. So, you know, check out our ranking, usnews.com slash cars. Um, you know, they're a great starting point for your shopping get a good um, you know, consensus view of the automotive press as to what everybody thinks of the cars, and you know, then you'll actually get a car that you love. Cool. Love it. That's so great, Jamie. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you, Jamie. We're all looking for great driving roads, and we've even tried to share and list some of them along the way. But now there's an app that can help anyone worldwide mark, share, and find the best roads everywhere. Driveline is the world's first social driving app. It allows you to easily record and classify your favorite road, and you can mark great pit stops, record and attach video, and you can create pins with photos to share. It's the first sharing and social driving app. You can follow people that drive interesting roads, see what they're driving. You can search an area you've never driven before. And if you find a route you like, you just hit drive it and get guided to the beginning of your new favorite road. You can even earn points and patches for your activities on the app, which build towards actual car giveaways. As the community grows, Driveline will be giving away cars to members, and your posting and drives earn you points to win. We've never seen anything like this, and we love the combination of community and great drives. You can get in early right now and shape the app and the community. So download Driveline to your phone today. Start sharing your favorite roads, meeting other drivers, and finding a new route for your next adventure. Summer's here, and with that comes sunshine and blistering hot car interiors. I know that leather seat seemed like a great idea at the time until you scalded your legs. All you need is a custom sunscreen from Covercraft. These foldable sunscreens fit perfectly in the windshield of your car, and they keep your car a lot cooler while you're off enjoying the sunshine or whatever you're doing. I have used these for years, and I, I'm telling you, I swear by them. These custom sunscreens from Covercraft are available in a whole range of colors, and they're a simple, affordable way for you to keep your car cooler all summer long and protected from damaging UV rays all year long. We swear by our custom sunscreens from Covercraft. It's one of our favorite car accessories. And remember, you can get 10% off your car sunscreen by using the code EVERYDAY right now at Covercraft.com, or you can follow the link from our sponsors page. We're often asked how we find the cars we recommend because we do a lot of research for the show. Local or nationwide, our searches start with our friends at Auto Tempest. Instead of searching each car site separately, you can enter your parameters into Auto Tempest one time and search them all at once. You can see results from cars.com, cars direct, eBay, and more, or you can jump to Auto Trader and Car Gurus without entering anything new. You can even search all of Craigslist nationwide. You know how hard it is to search Craigslist all at once? You can with Auto Tempest. Auto Tempest can help you find your next new or used car if there's a dozen in your neighborhood or two in the entire country. 
plus the folks at Auto Tempest actually do listen to this very podcast right along with you, and they're always looking for ways to refine the site to make it better. They already have research tools, buyer and seller guides, and are listening to what features users want. So if we give you drive homework or you're chasing your dream car or you're just looking to feed the disease, autotempest.com is the place to start. Heck, I was honored an hour ago. So that was pretty cool to hear from Jamie. And, yeah, for uh, sure. Pretty interesting. We've got a debate that actually relates from Matt Sheena. He is in a, a small town in central Massachusetts, and he's got uh, two boys, 14 and 12, where they're actually older now because mm-hmm. Matt wrote to us way back in February of 2019. Mm-hmm. Matt, we have not forgotten about you. I just true, thought, true, true. let's pull this out when they're closer to driving age. And it's appropriate now and it's coming appropriate. out of the conversation with Jamie. So I, I really do think it fits quite nicely. Matt, we may be spending some of this car debate now uh, – Disagreeing with some of the conversation we had with Jamie, but I, I do do like the uh, the boring the boring aspect was very funny about the whole Buick boring thing. I the, still the want perspective that, was good. Because, I want that to be an ad campaign. You know, many parents think like that, mm-hmm. and uh, like I reiterated, the first car in your life doesn't need to be the best looking, no, most fun, no. dynamically nor should greatest nor car should you'll ever own. That's not the starting point, and, and so her rankings are very appropriate. Yes, they are. And I also will say this. The U.S. News, the whole approach that they're taking, you heard her talking about it, is very much thinking safety first, driving second. And I right, can't argue right. with that. The, the parent in me goes, I see it. Now, in Matt's case and in many, the case of many of you listening, you have a child with the car disease. And, of course, we welcome it. Matt and his sons watch the TV show. They listen to the podcast. I love that part of this story, Matt. So hey to you and your boys. That's awesome. So this is a little bit different approach because Matt wants to worry about let's have a car that has good dynamics. Let's have a car that is decent to drive. The problem that's created here, and I think the list that we talked about with U.S. News speaks to this. The problem is as you start to chase stuff that's fun to drive, you end up going older and you get further away from latest and greatest safety tech on a car. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. this is the big dividing line. I think about me when I'm well, I mean, still six years away, but I think about me. With my That's son, so scary. it is scary. He, well, here's the thing. He, uh, side note, my son, again, almost, <laughs> almost 10, okay? Wow. Keep in mind, almost 10. I can't believe he's that old, but still. Honestly, we have had three or four conversations this summer that have started this way. Hey, Dad. Yeah. So when I get my first car, oh, no. I was thinking about, he's oh, six no. years away. So I am, I am doomed in a great way. I, I, will, <laughs> I will embrace it for the little man. But my point here is, if you have a kid who really likes cars and likes driving, there, is a, there are two different parental approaches. My baby is driving and put them in uh, a bubble-wrapped car. A suburban with bubble wrap. Exactly. Or then my baby is driving and I want them to be engaged in the process. Mm-hmm. You are somehow, in some level there, there's, there's a balance. There's a parental balance here. Where do you trade safety features for driving involvement? Because a lot of times they aren't in the same car. Sure. And I do want to mention a side note about projects. And we have encountered and heard of many parents mm-hmm having project cars that they start with with their kids yeah, when they're yeah, yeah. 12, 13, 14, 15, that will then become their car. Mm-hmm, and it's a, mm-hmm. hey, we bought a rust bucket together and we've been working on it. It's yeah, going yeah, yeah. to become your first car and it's a 64 Mustang. Yeah, which clearly and, has no safety features. Yes. You know, 
wow, okay. Look, you have seatbelts, and we're done. Although I will say, a project car that you're working on together, not only does it create the lifelong memories, Mm -hmm. it creates a level of preciousness that I think translates into that teen's driving habits to keep it... Well, this is—I don't want anything to happen to it. I have invested I in this car. I think there's a level of that. I've sure. worked hard on yeah. this car. I want to, you know, I'm, it, it's not a, you know, yeah. name a, a bland Econo box that I have no love for. It's mm-hmm. just a car. Versus this is a special thing. Mm-hmm. I love this car. We did the paint together. Yeah, I want to yeah, keep yeah. it nice. That does, I think, translate to the driving and your approach to driving. Mm-hmm. But I also do like an older car and knowing. Like we've talked about, manual transmission, fewer seats, mm-hmm. you know, the dynamics of analog and, yeah. you know, yeah. mechanical everything versus, you know, new modern cars that kind of insulate you from the driving experience in some way. Yeah. yeah. And I, my personal divide, I'm trying to think about this kind of as we're talking through, I think my personal dividing line is must have an airbag. Because I think about me in that C2 vet having the closest near miss of my life. And the big thing I thought of when that wreck nearly happened, watch the end of American Original for that horrifying piece of video. When that wreck nearly happened and then when it didn't actually connect, I kept coming back to visually the fact that the end of that steering wheel was just a pole pointed at my chest. Yeah, And that was the part Uh, that really scared me. I've I've seen airbags. Make look. We talked on the, on a mm. podcast a couple podcasts ago about the the wreck that happened on a recent drive I was on. Right, right. And those driver driver and passenger were safe because of airbags. Now that was a very recent car, but my point here is I think you've got to be cars in the '90s to at least get into this. Is I'm just saying this is for me. Sure. I think for sure. me personally, it's got to have that initial driver airbag is the bottom. But where is your place as a parent? So we're going to talk about here with Matt. Well, his current car is a 2016 Focus ST. He said is a former SEMA build car. He says it's got all the items you would Must. expect, but it's yeah, not it's precious. Everything. So he drives okay. it everywhere. And I think having this car, it's translated into his uh, oldest having the disease now. And Love it. All the activities that they do. He's got an interest in turning his passion for cars into a career, potentially. That could be cool. And he has received his first tool chest and tools for Christmas. <laughs> the disease has struck That's and it's great. getting worse. Thanks for being with us, though. Yeah, for sure. Well, the budget that Matt has is... Ideally around five thousand, but you know that could be depending on the car. That could grow to seventy five hundred, eight thousand. It could become ten thousand, depending on how mm-hmm. well the car is. Mm-hmm. And Matt, before we jump into this, I do want to say, at this level, we're selecting a car. It doesn't have to be the car. It's not like, well, we're getting a couch. The couch needs to last me for ten years. It has to true. be the couch true, true. and the right color and everything. <laughs> <laughs> no. What if you have it for a year and it turns out, you know what? That wasn't the greatest choice. It worked for a year, but yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. we've got a, our needs changed or mm-hmm. something. So you don't have to come in with the mindset like my my child's first car has to do it has to be perfect for them. It has to mm-hmm. I'm paralyzed mm-hmm. because I don't know what to get. All right, we'll narrow it down to some choices. Yeah. We'll be in the ballpark. Yeah. You try that, it might be great. But then, you know, your needs change as everybody's do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you, you give yourself permission to move on from that or, in a few years. Exactly. Or you have one like I did. My first car was the <clears throat> 1982 Pontiac Firebird with a four-cylinder mm. that made all of 90 horsepower. Oh, boy. I learned. I learned how to drive manual on that car. I also learned how to change my alternator belt because I had to do it almost once a day. I carried extra alternator <laughs> no belts kidding. and tools in the trunk of that car and was <laughs> often seen after school or after practice or whatever it was with the hood up. People were like, hey, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm just changing my alternator belt. It was a regular thing. Lots of learning going on. <laughs> we had that car less than six months for all of those reasons. Wow. So wow. you have to. You also have to 
give yourself permission, Matt, to reassess later. So that's why your budget is is hopefully five, but could be as much as 10, because you're trying to offset the reality of, if we need to spend a little more for a car that's working better, you're willing to do that. But give your, honestly, you and your wife, give yourself permission that if this car isn't right, you can get rid of it. And, you know, Matt, with your current Focus ST, it sounds like you've begun teaching your oldest to drive this. Mm -hmm. And yes, it is front wheel drive. And doing that before you get the experience of the higher horsepower, the rear wheel drive thing, you've mentioned you've got uh, a Mustang, you've reacquired the Mustang, and you have Mustang, uh, your Ford guy. Yeah, for Love sure. Mustangs, which is great. But the cars that you're looking at, we, we've talked about these before. You've talked about Miata, Honda S2000. You've mentioned the Honda CRX, mm-hmm. older. I mean, you could go CRZ, as a mm-hmm. matter of fact. He's requiring manual transmission, which is interesting. And requiring this. Yeah, manual transmission has to be you know, inherent throughout everything. He's open to a 2 plus 2. Storage isn't as, as important. And you know, Matt's first car is a station wagon, so he knows what it's like. As we were talking about with Jamie, everybody gets in. We're trying to over keep the down. We're trying to keep down number of passengers. There's no <laughs> Volkswagen bus going on here. We're keeping passengers down as much as we can. So the 2 plus 2 kind of slides in there, maybe. And you're right, Matt. With insurance, you've got to take that into consideration. Big time. So something Big time. older, yeah. less expensive, and lower power, ideally. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we've got to talk two plus twos, and I want to give you permission to start your sons in rear-wheel drive cars, because it sounds like they've got the enthusiasm, and again, it, it just depends on the person. It does. It really does. And so I think it's it's okay to consider the FRS or the, the 86 platform. I think it's, I don't know that they're cheap enough yet. They but, might not be cheap enough. But, but, they're, but they'd be a, I think it'd be a great first car. Well, what really about do. a Genesis? Uh, the uh, the Genesis Coupe? The yeah. oh, first, the what very first, first ones might be possible. Yeah. I mean, I like all your choices. I like the idea of, you know, maybe handing down the Focus ST, but it's probably a little bit too much power. And a bit hot. A little bit, bit too hot. hot for right up, right up the front. Yeah, for sure. The well, nice I, thing, I, though, I, about the older cars, though, is that brings your insurance down. True. And true. I'll also say this to you, Matt. You're going to have to shop it. You're going to have to counter your shopping, you and your boys, and, and explain this to your, to your boys here. The insurance thing is a different factor in the shopping because, for example, for a while, the Honda Civic – was more expensive to insure for a teen than some sports cars. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. the Honda Civic was a Civic. It was reliable. It was safe. It was not fast. But percentage-wise, enough teens were getting Honda Civics and wrecking Honda Civics that insuring a teen in a Honda Civic was more than some sports cars. So you're going to have to go carefully through calling up your insurance agent. You're going to become friends now and have conversations <laughs> yeah. about, we're looking at this car and this car. Talk to me about insurance. Because I've been surprised, look, as a guy that is married and well over 25, how much when I call my insurer to talk about a new possible car, how much the, the price is very wildly different than I expect sure. when I just think, I'm bringing this car to the party. I hear you. I hear so you. So do that as well. Keep going, Paul. Well, I think about the Mazda 3, and that's where my headspace is okay. at for everything you're talking about, Matt. It's, it's kind of got the dynamics of what you're teaching your sons in with your car, but it's not nearly as hot, but it still can come in manual transmission. Mm-hmm. There, the prices range all over the map yeah, yeah. due to year and mileage, but those are consistent cars that, that, you know, if you get into it, you can have some fun with mm-hmm. it, but also you can back off and it's a very normal commuter true, car. True, true. It's not on the hot end of things. You could probably get a fairly new one for the mm-hmm. budget you're talking about. 7,500, eight grand, somewhere mm-hmm. in there. It's going to run. It's, you know, obviously going to need to take care of it. But I think the balance of everything that we want mm-hmm. 
It's not too big, but it's not too small. Manual transmission. There can be some fun as their skills grow, as yeah, their yeah, skills yeah. progress. And now you're talking about tire management. And that's mm-hmm. essentially what track mm-hmm. driving is all about is tire management. Any skid, anything is you're managing the contact patch. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I think it is a best balance before you do graduate to the rear wheel drive. And, and those boys can be in your Mustang. You can teach, you know, teach them in that and take them out. In those in that car a little bit later. Careful in stepping. Careful stepping. One thing yeah. at a time. But I, I look at the Mazda three as just a really great intersection of everything you're looking for from price. Insurance has got to mm-hmm. be a consideration. Yeah, for sure. It, it is really, and I think they've got the enthusiasm to to you know enjoy those cars mm-hmm. and their skills are going to progress quickly. It sounds like so. That's really where I'm at. I mean, okay. I've suggested golf a lot, but I want something that it, they can beat on a little bit yeah. and not have to worry about you know, over-maintaining to make it really pristine, but still take some pride of ownership in because that is part of the car experience too. I have a few here that I want to speak to real quick. Now, again, you brought up already, Matt. You brought up the Miata. You brought up the S2000 and the Honda CRX. I want to jump off of all three of those real quick. Miata, you said you guys are partial to the NA. Look, I like the Miata. I like it as a first car. I know a family here in town locally. That's what they put their boys and girls in as first cars, an NA manual transmission mm-hmm. Miata. It's worked out very well for them. Yep. I, the car is going to run. I see it all. I'm going to say to you, though, not an NA. Get an NC. Hmm. You've gotten so much more modern in safety features. You're still Miata. It's still not that powerful. A little bit bigger, too, than the other the first two generations. A little bit I like the NA. I can't fit in the NB. I like both of those. I don't fit in them well, but I'm not using that bias here. I'm just saying I, I think the intersection of your price, Miata Dynamics, mm-hmm. and safety features is actually the NC. Okay. If you, Fair if enough. If you were Fair shopping enough. with $7,000, $8,000, you can get an NC. You might, you might even find yourself a power retractable hardtop. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I, I think the third gen might be the right Miata for you guys. I'm not against the NA or NB, but I'm just wondering if it, where you are in that category. Mazda, great I for team think, drivers, great for experience I drivers. I actually think the S2000 is wrong. I actually don't like that here for I a couple of reasons. I think it's a little bit too powerful, to because, be honest. Well, the, the issue of it being it, it's a car that responds best when you ring it out, which is going to encourage ringing it out, okay? Sure, and Because, sure. I mean, all the power is at the, at the upper end of the RPM band. I mean, way up there. And... The ones you're going to find at your budget are going to be AP1s. One of the main changes between AP1 and AP2 was they made it less prone to oversteer. Yeah. So yep. I, I think first-time driver in an S2000 is probably a bridge too far. I prefer the Miata over those two. The Honda CRX I like. You're going pretty old now. I don't know about how safety tech's going to be, but that made me think, and you mentioned it, and I think it's a real contender is the CRZ. Absolutely. I love the CRZ. Small, genuinely fun to drive, unique. Great six-speed manual, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. good gas mileage. I, I think I think that's a really good, strong contender here as a car that has some style and is genuinely fun to drive, but isn't on the other breath a sports car. If you're going to go front-wheel drives, I think that's a real candidate. Mini Cooper, don't get an S, just get a Mini Cooper, straight up Mini Cooper. Yeah. Yeah. That's something you can work on. Look, go here. Do what I what I had on spot. Find yourself your own spot. Granted, that was a supercharged one, but the CVTs of the of the early gen were known to blow up. But you want a manual transmission, exactly. Yep. The supercharger can be a little fast and 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 hairy. But you know what? You don't don't even get that. Just get a mini. Just get a Cooper. They're going to be cheap. If you get the early ones, I had an uh, what was it? The R fifty three. That's the early gen. The early ones. Those actually are more reliable than the ones to follow when they went turbo. Now, granted, you're also not getting a turbo, but you follow what I'm saying here. Chase a mini. Take the back seat out. Do the back seat removal kit. It's now a two seater. 
mm-hmm. manual transmission, very fun. I debated the um, the MR2 Spider, and then I think I'm retracting it because it's more mid-engine dynamics than the Miata. So I, I think agree. it's probably out for the same reason as the S2000. On. Those so come later on in your CRZ, career. CRZ, Mini Cooper, the MX-5, NC, I think those are three really good candidates. I like your Mazda 3 a lot. That's just a solid car. I just think it's a solid intersection for everything you're talking about. You know, And again, it doesn't have to be the car for the next however many no, years. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Try yeah. that out. And driving skills are going to progress quickly, hopefully. Hyundai Veloster while we're here. Yeah, you could add the Veloster. It doesn't have to be the turbo, no, but just no, the no. straight-up Veloster. Mm-hmm. Those are inexpensive, great, genuinely fun quirky, to drive. Yeah. fun. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I like all that. Matt, thanks for writing to us. Really appreciate it. It's been a while, but yeah, hopefully uh, mm-hmm. this is all very timely for you guys. And if you've already gotten a car, please let us know. Same thing with your own debate. Please let us know your Topic Tuesday idea. If you've got uh, you know a guest you'd like us to have on or you want uh, uh, Topic Tuesday you want us to cover, please let us know along with your own debates. That's everydaydrivertv at gmail.com or you can find us on the website where you can find the link to our GoFundMe for oh, yes. future content. That is what the idea that we have had, we have discussed, and then the audience, some people on Discord <laughs> came up with the idea, idea. Let's of be going honest. to the GoFundMe and saying, how about, you know, what if the audience contributes to the content? And it's an experiment, so go there, check that out. You can read the, uh, the entire description there. And uh, we've got a ton of questions to get to here. What did you find on the questions here you want to I'm going to start. We're already getting to this time of year. Where questions look, it, it's the back end of summer. I get that, but we're not. Look, I want to hang on to summer as long as I could. We had a big long winter. <laughs> yeah. I want to hang on to summer a bit, but we are getting to questions already where they're starting to turn toward winter tires and winter activities. So I am <laughs> going to speak to Seth real quickly on Facebook. He asked about a good all mountain ski. You and I love our Rosignol Soul Sevens. Soul Sevens. They yeah. are more, but they are more toward uh, like in the lineup though. They're more toward a powder ski. Very much so, yeah. So they yeah. are softer, so you may want to be something harder than that, but we have both have Soul 7s. There was like a two-year span where every time you got on a lift, somebody on the lift with you had on Soul 7s, and I found it was like, apparently I need to ski these, and I skied them and went, yeah, they really are awesome. So I like those, but you're actually saying in the Salt Lake area, where can you ski and not have big crowds? I can think of two places. One is Powder Mountain. That is north of Ogden, and mm-hmm. it's a bit of a drive. Mm-hmm. Powder Mountain doesn't get that big of crowds, and you know what? Neither does Deer Valley. They actually, Relatively speaking. they actually cap the number of people yeah. on the mountain, and that's why it keeps the crowds down. So there's some options there. All right. So I'll keep uh, the thread going here from Stu Brad C. What are our thoughts on purchasing a fun car that won't be used in the winter months at this point You know, in Utah? But this applies to mm-hmm. every state that gets buried in snow. Michigan, I'm looking at you. There's a lot of people <laughs> that have their fun car. And New should York, you buy upstate. one? <laughs> yeah. Should you buy one? And you know, later in the summer months... Mm where we're at now at this yeah. recording, should you buy one and enjoy it through the fall and then, well, it's got to go into storage or do you wait until springtime? That's what he's asking here. But this is when the deals are. Well, exactly. He says, is there a cutoff period where you would hold off purchasing or you take advantage of lower prices? Mm-hmm. I say if there's something that you've got the budget for and you've been wanting it, I say go for it because... Of course, there's always going to be used cars in the future. There's always going to be choices, you know, come springtime. But there are those random days when it's cold, but it's dry, and you want to give baby some exercise. Mm -hmm. Personally, I've enjoyed getting the Cayman out in January on those rare days. I see it. And I think, well, it's cleared up enough, and before the next snowstorm hits, let's just go get some seat time. Yeah, I love it. And you get it it. out. And it is pretty enjoyable, and then, you know, you've got it right away. You can start, you know 
getting it into the family, integrate it into mm-hmm. your garage, Funny. working. Have you got the space to put it somewhere? You know, is the next the question. Battery maintainer, whatever you've got going. Yeah, you can, yeah, yeah. You can start getting it in there. And then, again, you've got it ready to go. So when the roads are clear and you get that first spring warm day, you've already got <laughs> it. You're not like, oh, now I should start my shopping. One warning about spring days, though, I will say this. We're way, well, now I'm a whole six months ahead of us, but spring days, what I've noticed is all the really good roads when the snow melts have got so much junk on them. That's true. Be careful Rocks about how much stuff you're going to kick yeah, up and be, or, don't, or don't follow the, the person you go out driving with. Last winter-themed uh, question. I don't know why we ended up with the winter-themed thing, but we did. <laughs> Not sure either. Derek asked a question on Facebook where he said, what do, you, what do we think is the better decision? He's buying two cars. So finance a brand-new, newer truck and a cheap project car mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. – Get some really good, built, proper, ready. Like I think he's in his mind. Think GT three fifty. Just buy a sports car that's ready to go for summertime, and then get a cheap truck for winter. I think the better play is cheap car for winter. Do you? Because Do you? it just gets beat on. Yeah, it does. Now, now I'm a guy. Look, I don't mind. I drove the FRS for two winters, and I, I loved. I genuinely loved driving a really good dynamic car year round. I loved that. If you can do that with your sports car, I have still debated it with the Lotus, but you can do it with your sports car. I actually think that's the best answer: is get a car that you just drive year round. But if you're going to do two cars, I think the cheap one is the winter one because it's the one that's going to have the much harder life. And I would hate the idea of, of spending a lot of money on the brand new, really nice thing and then taking it out. And it's only really driven when the worst things are going to happen. Sure. I can see that. Well, there's a question here from Terrence C., who has a Veloster N. And he says, while it's got solid seats, he'd like to try something new. Are there aftermarket brands or seats we can suggest? Or is the answer that just the Carrera S Sport buckets? Really, the answer is just <laughs> used carbon buckets from Porsche. They're like 15 grand. So, of course, all of us can just go install those in our cars chance what i think i'm getting this right chance who who works with us and you guys know chance he has his 996 911 <laughs> and he's thought about replacing the seats so he this, this gets him on the rabbit rabbit hole of looking up porsche used seats he found <laughs> seats for the gt2 rs what were they 30 grand they're they're like 15 yeah maybe I, that was per I seat just, but yeah they I, were expensive the carbon buckets you're talking for, about for just the yeah. seats yeah blind the, that's right yeah, that's right it was he said it, it was his, it was his, it, it was two of his car i think it was 15 grand each it was it was something absurd the point here is he could have bought a car for the price of the seats we don't, don't recommend do that. that. Don't do that. Buy a car with different seats. I'm just putting it out there. Oh, well, exactly. I you mean, can get Recaros, you can get Corbos, you can get all kinds of things if you want to go aggressive. The problem is once you get aftermarket seats that aren't things like the nice Porsche seats, they typically are far less adjustable. So how much adjustability do you need in your seat? Yes. Like my wife yes. is frustrated with the Lancer because while she can move backwards and forwards, she can't move up and down and she needs to. Oh, that's a good point. So that's if you, now, point. if it's yeah. just you driving, it doesn't matter. If you're sharing the car with somebody, what kind of adjustability do you need if you go to aftermarket seats? I mean, that's the, the usual issue is that, yeah, you can go a lot lighter, but when you go lighter, that means all those power features yeah. and sometimes seat heating, all yes. that stuff goes away mm-hmm. because, you know, you've gone to a sports seat and Todd and I really like sports seats because of the support they give for our back. Yeah. You know, the lumbar support, the lateral support, all those things is great. But that only really comes to light when you're doing some high-performance driving. Mm. Now, they, they can be good for road trips too. But again, like I said, all those great features. I was marveling at the seats in the Audi Q8 mm-hmm. and wondering, how heavy are these things? Yes, because they did, they they did everything. They yeah. and heating and cooling and 
endless adjustability. I think they had an ejection feature too. They, they would launch you into space. They had it to be crazy. 150 pound seats at they least. They had to be. Yeah. I mean, just the weight of the seats, but it's worth it in a car like that. Yeah, for sure. So for your car, Terrence, I say the the shops that carry seats are going to be those independent race shops. So you can find those either on forums. You can put a question out on forums. You can look mm-hmm. at various uh, you know publications that you know race shops will advertise. Hey, get all your race suits to fire extinguishers to seats and. You know, shoes, all that stuff, steering wheels, all that kind of stuff. Those are usually the shops where you can go to and sit in a few things mm-hmm. and then start to get an idea. All right, this fits my torso. I like this. You know, how do we retrofit this from my car? But again, it's going to be a bit of a harder core thing. They're lighter, but yeah. you, you kind of lose, in some cases, a lot of that adjustability that's built in from the manufacturer. I've got, uh, what is this, uh, Shirker, uh, Shirker Aid 92. I'm not reading that well at all. It's a, that, that, that's the avatar. It, it's there. Right. How do we define a car as fun to drive? What is it? Is it power? Is it handling? What is it? I think the answer here is feeling properly involved and partnered. Hmm. And I'm going to yep. use some, yep. some uh, not great examples. But if I'm in a car that I know is hyper capable, I'll, I'll give you a direct car example. A car I know is hyper capable the GTR, I don't find it that fun to drive because I don't feel that necessary. <laughs> okay? Now, yeah. objectively, yeah. GTR versus my Lotus on a track, the GTR is just going to win. It's going to win all the time. Over many cars. And I will climb in my Lotus. If you gave me those two options, I would climb in the Lotus every single time. Sure, I would never. The sure. GTR would just sit parked. I want to feel like I am vital, and I want to feel like when there is a input – Power, handling, whatever, there's an input. The car is responding immediately without slop. Hmm. Now, hmm. obviously, you get something like a big SUV, you have to account for the fact that it can't respond like a Lotus Elise. I'm not saying every car, as much as I love it, I'm not saying every car needs to respond that way, but the, the Elise is an extreme example. I want to feel like I'm being properly listened to and partnered. Think about if you, if you dance with somebody. You can dance with somebody that's a really good partner or somebody that's really not a good partner. They may be an okay dancer, but they just can't partner well. I want to feel vital. I want to feel like my movements matter in the car, and I want to feel like the car doesn't doesn't surprise me where I do this, and it goes, wait, wait why did it do that? Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. weird. Why does it respond that way? We've had cars that do these kind of things. I want consistency, predictability, and just good partnering. I know it sounds weird, but that's the best way I can think of to describe it. Well, that's a question for me from Russell Givitin about car dealerships. He's asking, do dealerships still give lower costs to cash buyers, hmm. or do they make more from financing? And also, what extra hidden fees should he be aware of? Well, first of all, if you work for a company that has a corporate purchasing power agreement mm-hmm. with car companies, Please be sure to ask. Some large companies have A and B plan pricing or even X plan pricing kinds of agreements with, you know, such and such car manufacturers. So be mm-hmm. sure to investigate that if you do work for a large company. That does give you instant, you know, money savings right there yeah, for and sure. justifies the the uh, depreciation, I'll say. Yes, cash talks, absolutely, because dealerships do make money off the financing. But what you can do is set up your financing well in advance, then go, you know, you're figuring out, all right, here's how much I want to pay for the car. That translates into this rate, and Mm -hmm. this is the monthly payment I can expect. So I know if I walk in the dealership and offer them, my bank's already set up. We're ready to go. This is what I want to pay for the car. You want my business or don't you? And you do have that power because with nowadays – you can go out of state. You can go wherever. It almost doesn't matter what dealership you go to because you're near de- your nearby dealership. You're going to go to them for service anyway, yeah. which is fine. Which they is really make a lot make of money. money off parts and service anyway. <laughs> yeah. 
But you know, you can say, hey, I'm a local customer. Maybe I'm going to be a future customer. How well do you want to treat me? Mm-hmm. It's absolutely fair for the dealership to make money. Absolutely fair for the salesperson to make money. They need to make a commission too. Mm-hmm. But yes, your cash does talk. And you know, that's all in the negotiation. You know, you've got to be, you know, really have your research lined up before you go in because again, financing is where all the money's made as a matter of fact. So investigate things called dealer holdbacks. Those are the, the money. It's usually two to 3% of a car that the factory holds back that covers the cost of the car sitting on the lot Mm -hmm, for the dealer. mm -hmm. So they're, they're financing the car and it's sitting there for months and months and months. So that manufacturer in a lot of cases reimburses them for that. So sometimes, you know, if they've got a car that's been sitting around for a while, they want mm-hmm. to get that out of there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's cutting into their it. holdbacks. So go mm-hmm. investigate dealer holdbacks and uh, yeah, just generally arm yourself with as, as much information as you can. And what's good is Auto Tempest has a great car buying guide on their website. So we look at that for, uh, you know, all the tips and tricks with dealerships as well. So go investigate that. So Legend Continues has a question from Instagram that I don't know that we can be definitive on, but I wanted to unpack it a little bit with you, Paul. He says, what are the warning signs? We talked about a a recent one here. What are the warning signs of a group or club drive that is dangerous or starting to get dangerous? What should you look for? What should you do about it? Hmm. I think the big thing for me is follow distances. How close are you to the person in front of you and how close is the person behind you? Yeah. yeah. If if they're on your bumper or if you're on someone else's bumper, you are leaving zero margin for error on a canyon road. I don't like tight follow distances. Now, I say that I would still do a club drive and my follow distance is shorter than my wife would like. But I notice at the same time while I'm driving, it's I typically have got a lot more space in front of my car than the guy in front of me does to the car in front of him. I just want to yeah. I want to have visibility. I want to see and I want to have room to do something different if something goes awry. So follow distances are a big indicator for me and also I've said it before, but I think it's key. You have to disconnect yourself from ego, and you have to, to to see if anybody else in the group seems to be very connected with their ego. For sure. I'm nodding and, over here a and lot. If, yes. And if you are feeling those situations, the, honestly, there is not a thing in the world wrong with using a turnout and letting the group go by. Yeah. I, just to add to that, if there's any talk at one of your stops about, yeah, the three of us should go on ahead and we sh- you know, we'll just see you guys there. We're going to, you know, we know this section of the road and we're going to race on ahead. And if there starts to be talk like that within the group, you just got to be like, look, that's when you're asking for stuff and always remember you're on public roads. So, you know, depending on your skill and, and driving level, you're never at 10 tenths. You're never at really eight or nine tenths. <laughs> Because you can come around a corner and be surprised by stopped cars, animals in the road, something's going mm-hmm. on. So you yeah. always need yeah, yeah. to have the sight lines. And you're there to have fun and cruise. You know, other times when you're by yourself, you know, or ideally at a track yeah. to be able to take it out and get the, the high speeds that you're looking for, do that on the track. But for a group drive, you're just there for camaraderie. Think, of, think about it as uh, formation driving. Think Kinda about if you've ever watched, yeah. you know, a formation uh, group an air show or something, think about how close they are. They're not going as fast as those planes can go. They're being very precise. You're formation driving, but you don't know the other folks, how, how they are as drivers, and you haven't practiced. That's true. Be careful. <laughs> it's like the be Blue aware. Angels with pilots you've never met. Exactly. The Blue Angels, are, we just, we'll all show up Tuesday. We'll be the Blue Angels. No, you won't. <laughs> no, you won't. So just, just be I, – I, my big thing on all of those drives is always distances. I'm very concerned about distances to other cars. 
Amazon Season 5 is available right now. It's on Amazon Prime Video, and you can mm-hmm. see, uh, I think at this point, uh, Episode 6 will be up. Um, uh, it's, it may be a few days away still. Okay, maybe still yeah. coming. But the uh, the first five episodes are available at Season 5 Amazon. You can find that for our international listeners. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys for following, and you can all find that on Vimeo as well. So yes. even though Amazon Prime is not available, even in Canada, our friends in Canada. It's weird. It's very strange, or Japan or Germany. You can find it on Vimeo, so go there, and uh, we're eager to share all that with you. Meanwhile, we're off to uh, our pilgrimage trip is coming soon, and we're shooting episodes for season six already. That's awesome. I love it. Which is amazing. Thank you guys a million for all your questions. Hope you enjoyed. Looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>